You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. This is a podcast from ComediansComedian.com. This is the Comedians Comedian Podcast. Hello there, I'm Stuart Goldsmith. Welcome to the show. And you join me in Auckland once again at the New Zealand International Comedy Festival, where I've just had the following conversation with one of my very favourite comedians, uh, the prodigiously talented and, um, what's the word, roguish? I'm, lo- I'm looking for something that means sort of evil, but in a really charming way. Either way, he's brilliant and he's here for you now. This is Kerry Marks. <laughs> Have you deli- you look there like you were relishing them continually clapping for I've... ages despite their small size and then it looked like you got near the chair and went I'm just going to wait this out. I <laughs> found that you walk on stage as slowly as possible and milk it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah keep that applause going. Thank you tiny audience. No, sh- shut up. Oh sorry. So thank you massive audience Thank and make you. a small sound. <laughs> Woo! Good work. Such a pleasure to be here. Thank and, you. Um, I'm I'm a bit I'm actually I'm going to be honest with you I'm a bit nervous about doing your podcast. Okay. Because um because the one flaw that comedians often fall into is, is getting up their own arse, and your podcast actually encourages us it to does. get up our own arse. You're, you're like a, a mat in front of my arse right now with a diving board at the end, and I think I'm about to dive right in and find out how deep it goes. That is incredibly evocative an image to begin with. <laughs> um, let's, enjoy, have, enjoy. You heard it, have you heard it before, or do you just know about that from other comics? Um, I know about it from other comics. I've also heard a few of them, yeah. Oh, yeah. Very so good. I very know good. what kind of thing might happen, and I've got no idea. In fact, let's just solve the whole thing right now. I've got no idea. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> there's definitely two... There's, well, there's, I think there's two... There's several different camps of comedians, but you could group them uh, into two camps of people who kind of have like a... I'm really into my process. I sort of absorb as much stuff. And, you know, people who, when they started doing comedy, bought all the books on how to do comedy. Yeah. And people who totally didn't do that. Yeah. I'm guessing you're in the second camp. I'm in the second camp, totally. Um, absolutely uninfluenced. And when I first went to a comedy club, I had no idea what goes on there. If I went to the comedy store in the old days when it was the, the downstairs, smoky, dirty room, mm-hmm. and that's what I loved about it. To me, it was, I, and I thought everyone was getting up, just making up everything. And it was like, uh, like poetry clubs. You could just write a piece and go on stage and do it. Yeah. And, uh, and it, I just thought it was the most exciting thing I'd seen. And when you went in that, well, you used to be a magician, didn't you? Yeah. That's one of the very, that's one of the tiny things that I've done almost no research, but I know that about you because we've gigged together. And you, so were you already a professional performer when you were going into comedy clubs? I've done everything. Like okay. everything. I, I started off with um, uh, like magic tricks and so on. I worked through the holiday camps. 
Um, I've, I've sung on stage, I've danced on stage, I've juggled whilst balancing on a football, um, I've done a hypnosis act, I've done a hypnotherapy sessions, I've done uh, um, and, and all, di all different forms of the magic arts as well, including uh, like psychic demonstrations okay. and uh, loads of different things. How I, haven't, did you I haven't been good at all those things, but I, have, <laughs> but, I have, but I have done them. I have been there. And then when I came to comedy, there was suddenly, it, it was a joy to find this, this purity. Uh, and I still absolutely love that. I, I love the, 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 the pure form of comedy, just, just a man or a woman on stage with a microphone and nothing else. And I think that's so exciting. <laughs> EG not needing to drag a load of shit around with you, props oh, and magic apparatus and so forth. Even now, when I sit work with another act, he's got all his props and he spends an hour like putting them all together and then having to take them all down again yeah. afterwards and then can't do double up gigs. Uh, yeah, it just makes me feel great. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you get, well, let's go right back to the beginning. Now. How did you get into doing the magic stuff? Were you like a, a performy type kid at school? Um, I was. I, was, I learned a few magic... Well, I actually, I didn't have a magic set as such. I had a pack of cards, and, uh, and I'd learned to do everything you could with a pack of cards. And I loved cards. So they, what fascinated me with cards was also that purity. It was, it was how much you can get out of a pack. And I, I would refuse to use fake decks and uh, trick cards and so on because I just wanted it to be something you could do anytime, any place with a pack of cards. And the fact that there's 52 bits of cardboard and you can produce all these effects from it blew mm. me away. So I, I loved that about it. Okay. And and uh, and then realised that wasn't enough for audiences though. They need that something more. They need sure. to see a sponge ball every now and then. <laughs> uh, <yeah>. So <laughs> that, that's a magical so you, term. It's a magical euphemism. Yeah. <laughs> no, it wasn't. They need to see a sponge ball every now and then. <laughs> they just do. Um, you know, you need to pull a coin out of someone's ear and so on. But uh, but that that's where I started. And then uh, for a while, I was a bunny rabbit. You looked at me as if that was the most normal thing you've ever heard well, in your life. To be honest, on the basis of the sort of 10 things you've already named, I was obviously thinking, well, obviously, I'll be a bunny rabbit next. <laughs> so I'm going to guess what, promotional or within At the a time when it was, it was just when strippograms were starting as a new thing. And I was, I was quite entrepreneurial. And I, I thought, well, there's no version of like gram you can have for kids. So I came up with the, the Barry Bunny Gram. Okay. And I had uh, I found this guy who was the uh, the top um, animal outfit maker in Britain, and I <laughs> paid him hundreds of pounds, and he made me a Barry Bunny outfit, which was startling. It was it was like it had a, a mouth that moved with my mouth in perfect rhythm and so on, and it was uh, and it, he he wore like a tuxedo, and it was like a big outfit. And then I, I put it in an advert in the local paper that Barry Bunny would turn up at children's parties or whatever, do a few magic tricks, and then leave. And I was paid a fortune for it. I couldn't believe oh how many God. people wanted a Barry Bunny Gram. So for a, a good couple of years, I drove around in my little car dressed as a bunny rabbit and performed tricks on people. And I would was get that... out of service stations dressed as a bunny rabbit and, you know. <laughs> was uh, that a clever way of doing children's birthday parties whilst insulating yourself from having was... to do a big show or interact with children? It wasn't totally insulating because the children would try and climb into my mouth. <laughs> I, uh, so... <laughs> And, and, and I think that's how, that's how the mouth on the costume broke eventually. Okay. But yes, it, so, it, it, got, it was insulating the fact that I, I suddenly realised I didn't have to do uh, like an hour or two of children's party. I could just turn up, do a trick and then leave. It was amazing. <laughs> but it, and I do know some magicians listen to this and they're all going to be going, shit, what have we been doing with our like, lives? Been done, been done. <laughs> but there was also a part of me that realised deep down that you can't be a bunny forever. 
you know, you have to, you have to, you have to move on. So then I moved on, and the next thing I was doing, you know, there were there were little patches, and I say like the hypnosis thing. That was and what it was was mostly experimental hypnosis. I was doing like a late night demonstration, like twelve till three in the morning, mm -hmm. and we did some fascinating uh, experiments with people. Um, but I, I kind of moved off from that into doing illusion shows. Mm. And then I was doing close-up, close-up magic at the time when it was new and no one had seen it. It was kind of being pioneered in America, and there was a, only a small group of people pioneering it, pioneering it in Britain. Mm. Uh, and, and no one at that time had opened their hand and seen a coin appear in their hand. So people, I, I saw people become more and more blasé as, yeah, as okay. more magicians realized this is a way of making money. And went to the magic shops, and they'd buy the trick that came with the patter. Mm -hmm. and, and now you're up against people who've got the fake deck of cards, they've got the jokes they bought, and they're cheaper than you, sure. and they're the ones who are more popular. So I moved out of that business. Okay. Were you doing all of these? I just want to stay with this for a minute. Were you doing all of these different sort of things at the same time, or were you constantly moving from one to another? Um, no, there are probably loads of overlaps, actually. Because at okay. that time, I would have been doing close-up magic, and then I started doing the illusion show. Uh, with my assistant, who was classically, of course, as it always is your girlfriend mm -hmm. uh, at the time. And, uh, and, and we were always building illusions. I used to build the illusions myself and invent mm -hmm. them myself. And we were building illusions as a, a show came up. So they would always go wrong. That's how it ended up being comedy. It wasn't, it wasn't at the beginning. <laughs> but it, it started being very funny. Um, never intentionally. Like we did a cruise ship where I had come up with this box and it was... It was brilliant in concept. She would go in the box and I'd put in something like 50 blades and there was nowhere she could hide. And they'd all go in really fast. Yeah. And then uh, I'd open the, the, uh, the cabinet and the blades have vanished and she comes out wearing an outfit made of blades, right? Which was okay. supposed to be quite funny. But when we did it on the ship, I was travel sick and I put the blades in the wrong order. And I heard her scream a couple of times. And... <laughs> but you can't stop a trick halfway through. You know, you can't just, you can't just stop and go, are you all right? So... So I carried on with it. And she came out with, like bleeding from her arm and down her leg. And I realized I genuinely chopped my assistant to pieces. And, <laughs> and the audience thought that was hilarious. And I thought, this is, <laughs> this is, this is a good, good way to go, really. So what, what, were you, what were you looking for at the time when you were doing all of these different sorts of things? Because it, it sounds like someone who was either in love with discovering how to do stuff or in love with not having a real job. That's a lot of the people I know who've been through, and myself included, having gone through lots and lots of permutations of performance before yeah. arriving at comedy. What was it you were searching for? Were you I'm, just trying to pay the rent or were you just trying to have fun? What was it? I'm not sure it's so much being in love with not having a job. I think it was more incapable. I'd, okay. I had, I had a number of jobs. You know, I worked in uh, offices, warehouses. Um, uh, I worked in a petrol station at one point. So between things, I was doing jobs. Okay. Then I went away to the holiday camps for a while, and I could hide there for six months as a as a blue coat. Which if you, you don't have that over here, do you? But it's uh, uh, you're like a host in a holiday camp, and and there I kind of picked up a number of skills because you'd have to use a microphone to introduce cabaret and. Gotcha. Um, and sometimes you just had to fill in time. My first time ever on a microphone was the entertainment manager saying, the, the, uh, the act is late, you've got to go on now and keep the audience occupied. Okay. Um, with nothing at all, no skills whatsoever. And I just suddenly had to stand in front of a ballroom full of people and keep them amused for what, did what you turned do? out to be about half an hour. Um, I, did, I balanced on a football blindfolded uh, juggling. Okay. And, okay. Um, and then got other people to do it, and then so the you, man what, you fell improvised over and that as an act. Back. Yeah, that's when oh, I first ever did it. Someone okay. had a football, and then uh, I grabbed some things and juggled with them because I could juggle a bit. Okay. And uh, and then I I did a number of other. I remember one thing I did was uh, I, I grabbed a piece that everyone was doing at the time, and it was a really shit thing to do, which was. Uh, 
it was just a filling piece of, of getting people to say tongue twisters. You know, the I'm not the pheasant plucker, I'm a pheasant plucker's mm -hmm. mate. And I'd go around the room getting other people to say it, because that would be a great time filler. Mm -hmm. And in the ballroom, everyone thought, that's hilarious, you nearly said fuck. And, and then there was, I remember there was one guy I went up to, and he embarrassed me on this first ever show by just going, I'm not a fucking pheasant, I'm a fucking fucking fuck. And, <laughs> and then... Everyone Rebel. laughed, and he kind of made the point very quickly that it's okay to say fuck, and it's actually a bit retarded to keep avoiding yeah. it. So. <laughs> okay, so, which, so when you were... Which still informs how I say the word fuck, by the way. I still think that it's better than the euphemism any time. Okay. It's so when you say it informs how you say it, how do you mean? I mean, that still I find it uh, pretentious and prudishness to avoid saying a word, so when I swear on stage, it's because I'm, I, I'm not trying to show off or to shock anyone. It's just, I'd rather use the word than say, I'd rather, I'd, I wouldn't say, oh, I went near her lady's place or anything like that, because I find that's just a bit pathetic. Mm -hmm. So I'll just say, what, what, I'll just say the description. And I think- You're allowed to say I, cunt on uh, the show, that's it. You'll be one of the only second or third guests that have, but you are allowed. You're I have no fear of saying the word cunt whatsoever. You can trust me, that will come up. <laughs> I've, I've never heard me talk for an hour without it, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, we'll get on to, we'll get on to the, sort of the, uh, the, the style of your acting, your material in, in, a, in okay. a while. But um, So going back to those first steps in comedy, did you see other comedians and go, hang on, I can do this? You know, when you went to the comedy store and you said, you, let's just take us back to that moment of going I into clubs and going, oh, it's all, it's all made up on the fly. Comedy store excited me. And then I did my first gig. I wanted to, to do a trick without, uh, sorry, do a, do a set without any props. And that was quite scary at the time. I went on at the Comedy Cafe, mm -hmm. back when it had a comedy competition, uh, I think on the Wednesday. Mm -hmm. And I'd written a story, um, which went really well. Like my first gig went really well. And I got invited back to do the next week. And the next week I went back with the same story and it died on its ass. And I had no idea why. Um, and that was my first lesson is, is that uh, not that you have to know why, but more that you, uh, anyone can write a joke, right? Anyone can be a comedian for a, for a moment. When people yeah. say that comedy's hard, it's not. It's really, really easy. Anyone can be funny once. But, but what we have to do is find things that are funny up and down the country to audiences in different states of mind and, and even in other countries. And that, that's the difficulty. It's the consistency that's hard in comedy. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So when you, what sort of acts were around when you were watching... The, the first, the first acts I ever saw were at the comedy store, and it was, uh, oh, God, it was just people ranting and raving about everything. And it, it, it was that variance that was so lovely. This is the 80s, ah, oh, my problem yeah, with totally. fucking cheese graters kind of Yeah, but, but, but also, and, and it was very a left-wing scene at the time, and, okay. uh, and a lot of anti-politics. And, uh, and so I started doing that, but I have to say, I moved off from doing that. I moved back to the magic almost straight away, because okay. I did a few of those gigs... And I still believe these were like poetry clubs where you could do what you like. So I went to different gigs just telling different stories and bits I'd write on the way to a gig, thinking this is so cool, and then realising I wasn't getting that many laughs after a while because you can't keep doing that. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and then I got invited to go up to Edinburgh for the Screaming Blue Murder show, okay. which was massive at the time, and I wasn't ready. And everyone else on the bill on the show I was going to be working on was, was huge. You know? And they, they were all really good at, at that moment as well. There was, you know, John Godillo was on and Steve Kamos was on the same show, and Will Smith, mm -hmm. um, uh, trying to think, Ben Norris and so on. But so, so we, had a, we had this massively strong bill, and I was this new act who didn't have an act yet mm. and realised that I need to get laughs. So we had the night before Edinburgh there was a preview where I turned up not knowing what I was going to do. I was with my brother. He drove me there. We stopped at a shop on the way, and we found this potato. It was like a massive potato. <laughs> and I thought, that's going to be my act. <laughs> you know? And, 
And I, di- I didn't even have a clear idea how. I went on with this potato in my back pocket, and I walked up to a member of the audience, and I sort of <laughs> did magic waves over his face. And then I grabbed the potato from my back pocket while still waving my left hand and pretended to pull it out of his ear. And he got a massive applause. <laughs> so, so I... I then carried on being silly with a potato and it got loads of laughs and then uh, I managed to keep that going for, for the whole 20-minute set that I was meant to do and, and I was told, that's great, do that in Edinburgh. So I was right. And I then spent the whole of Edinburgh searching around trying to find vegetables of the right <laughs> size, size and shape to get the right laughs. It, and I found more and more they had to be specific because like, the, the potato had to be tapered and it had to be large enough to be funny but tapered enough to get in my back pocket. You know? Okay. And then I, I sort of added to my act. Uh, I made it more skillful by using things like carrots. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I, even, I learned to work with uh, um, a coconut at one point, And coconuts are far more difficult than you expect. And, uh, and so I, I'd have people come up on stage and I'd pull vegetables out their ear and I'd throw out a few crappy one-liners or whatever to keep okay. it going. And it wasn't until after Edinburgh when I, I went straight on to the, the stand-up show on TV. And when I watched the, the show back... I realized, I watched myself come out and actually pull a potato out of someone's ear. That was the first time I realized people were applauding because it really looked like a good trick. Okay. I thought we were all in on the joke. <laughs> okay. You know? Well, I was about to ask, how did you not become a prop comic? And I guess that's why. Because you, you, know, you realized that they weren't, they weren't going for it in the way you wanted them to. Totally. But also, do you know what? I did props for, I did magic stuff and props for about four years. And the first four years, because following that Edinburgh, I, I left doing the, uh, the stand-up that I'd started playing with, and I went more into doing um, uh, magic things that were the, d- disappointing for me. In, in, from the point of view of art, mm. there's, there's no... And I, I don't want to diss any magicians and so on, because there, there is art and there's skills to doing those stuff. And I, I see magicians all the time who are amazing and great to watch, but uh, it's incredibly restrictive, because, first of all, you have... Uh, you, you have to choose props that are going to work on any stage, any time, any place, uh, surrounded. Sometimes you've got things you need to get someone up on stage for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even then, when you've got someone up on stage, now you have to get into a load of cheap banter and a cheap messing around that I didn't want to be doing anymore. Mm-hmm. And also because like, sometimes when you do a magic trick, you need a low-level laugh for a moment. People don't know this about magic. When you, like, if I make a coin, put a coin in my hand, and I want to get a moment of misdirection for the vanish, what I need is a really bad joke. If I do a funny joke and you all laugh, tipping your heads back, ha, 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 then you know that you haven't been watching for a moment. Okay. And now when my hand is empty, you're not impressed. It doesn't get a laugh. Mm-hmm. It, doesn't get, it doesn't get a reaction. But if I do a, a really shit joke, then everyone giggles just for a moment, and that's perfect misdirection, and not everyone thinks they were still watching the hand. <laughs> so that's the sound a- of minds being blown here. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> So there's a lot of that psychology goes on, and you end up having to do these shit jokes. That's why magicians do all these crap jokes. I'm never going to introduce the pack of cards. Ladies and gentlemen, pack of cards, pack of cards, audience. Um, and, and all those ones. But I, I, I couldn't bring myself to do those anymore. Yeah, and, okay. uh, and I also couldn't bring myself to, to constantly have, have all these props because it's also hard to build up. Uh, you, you can build an act, but it's hard to keep finding new things that are going to work that follow all those restrictions that don't involve having people come on stage and don't, and, and don't uh, have problems with angles. Okay, so. okay. So you're saying at the time you were throwing in the odd crappy one-liner to cover it. Were those jokes that you'd written yourself? Yeah. So that was the beginning of you as a joke writer? I guess so. I mean, I'd already been doing uh, like uh, magic round tables, you know, t- table hopping. So I just burped. Is that, is that okay on your podcast? No, no one will know. <laughs> No, no one would have heard oh, it. In case you didn't hear that, I'm drinking and I burped. <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't normally drink at this time of day. I kind of stopped doing that. In Edinburgh, I went for a whole Edinburgh not drinking just because I read one review that said that Kerry Marks is always drunk and comes out with his stuff because he's a drunk. So I decided I would go for the whole Edinburgh drinking only water on stage just to show reviewers that I would say every shitty, nasty thing that I say, whatever state I'm in. <laughs> so can you, can you just go back to those, those moments, those one-liners? I'm interested in like the first jokes you wrote. Wow. Can you remember any of them? Do you know what sort of thing they were? Yeah. No. No, I can't remember any of them. <laughs> what, you can, but you don't want to repeat no, them? No, I right? honestly can't remember any of them. What would I have said? No, I... I God. I, I can actually remember stuff I would have said before I was doing the magic thing, but then they would all be throwaway things. And some things I still use. Like, a lot of it was just things I could say just to cover moments whilst talking to the audience, whilst choosing someone to come up and so on. Mm -hmm. So, like, one that I'm... Still, I'm, I'm aware of this. I came out with it with a lady the other day. And this is shit, by the way. But, I just, <laughs> but like, I'd be talking to a woman in the audience and I ask what her name is. So she'd say it's Sarah. And I'd say, oh, that's a lovely name. It comes from the Latin name, Sariti Crete, which got shortened over the years and became the name Sarah. And the Crete became Carrie, which is my name. So you should fuck me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there'd be a load of that kind of shit. Um, I go up to a guy and just go, oh, you've got a nice look to you. You've got that boy next door look to you, which isn't that nice, really, because the boy next door to me is a child molester. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I, they were mainly just endless little cutting things I could say whilst moving a prop around okay. to another pocket. And, and were you writing them at the time or were you improvising them? And then... I was writing them thinking they were brilliant. <laughs> really? Okay, okay. <laughs> no, not really, but thinking they were, good, they were good fun, but still but still restrictive. I could only ever get... And also, I had one-liners. I can't remember what they were. It'd be... Uh, there was probably a few girlfriend left me kind of jokes. Okay. You know, okay. Just, just throw away things. My girlfriend left me, this happened, blah, blah, blah. But and no, so nothing, was, was it... Nothing real and nothing uh, about sure, life. Sure, And was it, was it a big deal then when you moved from going, like when you did your first 20 with no props? It was hell. But first, because people wouldn't let me do it because you could become very typecast in this business. Uh, one promoter told me I would never work again uh, when I dropped the props. She said, no one's going to want you, right? And there were... There were other times where I would walk on with, uh, uh, like I'd, have a, I'd always have a pack of cards or some prop in my pocket that I could turn to if, if, the, if the gig wasn't going well. And then I realized I couldn't do that because I would do anyway. Yeah. Because when you've got something in your pocket that you yeah. know is going to go really well, it's going to get a big laugh, you're going to choose that. Sure. It's, it's very hard to spit to the left when you know spitting to the right is going to just get a massive applause. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so it, it took a, a lot of self-control to then walk on without anything. And since then, also, I've learned that you've got to do that even as a stand-up. You do have sometimes have to put a routine down that's your, your banker, as we sometimes call them, or you know, that's uh, an absolute uh, definite working piece and, and decide you're not going to use it. Okay, so when you went on with nothing, were you going? Was that you doing? Okay, I'll, I'll try and do five with nothing, or did you just jump in and go right? I'm just going. I'm booked for a twenty with props, and I'm just not going to take the props. I what dived in. I dived in. I, I, I already had gigs booked. I told people. I said I've dropped the magic, and uh, my, my my gigs went down from being. I, I, as a magician, that was the kind of disappointing thing. I was I was really busy. I was instantly mm. offered loads of TV gigs and so on, and my, I just kind of lost the excitement of doing magic. I've talked about this on stage before. Is uh, in the show I did here last time actually last time at the New Zealand Festival, just uh, talking about making a sponge ball appear in someone's hand suddenly just felt too childish for me to go, ha, 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 I made a ball appear in your hand. Just felt mm. a bit silly, and I couldn't do that anymore. Um, so so I, I, I just liked the fact that I now only had words, but, yeah, it was, it was, it was disturbing to do 20 minutes without. Yeah. Um, constantly nagging that you know this, you want to run off stage and grab that pack of cards. So, sure. yeah, it was hard. But I didn't, I didn't do five minutes pieces. I... I, I 
I, I, I've said, I know I'm this clubs, I'm, I'm hesitating right now because I'm hesitating to tell stories because they involve other people and, you know, one club manager who got really angry with me afterwards and he'd invited me to come to his club and uh, do, do a set without uh, any tricks. Mm -hmm. um, and I actually went okay, but it didn't go brilliantly and then he got really angry for me not doing any tricks afterwards. So it, it was a wall I had to get by, to get through. Okay. You know. we, can, we can maybe release those names to the mailing list after the show. <laughs> <laughs> I always want to do that, get a breakdown. Okay. This you should have a blackboard here so I can just write them for <laughs> yeah, the audience. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> So this is Kerry. Uh, we said in the bar after this show that we could very easily have done another hour and went on to sort of chat privately about loads of extra stuff that could easily form another section to the show. If we get the time this week, uh, I'll try and get that sorted uh, and maybe release it as extra material or at the very least do a sequel uh, one day. Just, I just love him. He's just one of those people who, even when I'm familiar with his work, I love watching him gig. I love hearing the, the ideas back again and again. Just makes my brain fizz. Brilliant. Plus, an incredibly charismatic and engaging performer, as you can hear. Um, so just a quick thanks and then a, a brief burst of New Zealand info. Thank you to everyone for your continued donations to the show. You continue to amaze me with your generosity. Uh, I'm thrilled so many of you want to donate. And you can do just that by clicking the PayPal button at comedianscomedian.com. You choose the donation, of course. Whatever you think is appropriate is fine by me. And if you can afford one pound per show, then you're making a significant contribution. Thanks to everyone that can do that. And you're also, of course, covering a donation for another listener who can't afford it. So thanks. Remember, of course, it's entirely voluntary. And those who choose not to donate are also dearly loved. Just share the show with a friend and we'll call it even. Uh, I'm thinking of doing some merch. I don't know. Did I mention this before? I'll happily take your suggestions. I was considering branding some car air fresheners, maybe, or some hotel door, do not disturb, I'm crying and wanking signs, something like that. Um, let me know your suggestions. Apologies if you already sent those in. My memory isn't brilliant, and I sort of feel like we might have done this 50 shows ago, but I don't remember. I didn't keep a clear list of ideas. If you've got any funny ideas for ConCon merch, I'm, I'll do T-shirts and mugs and stuff as soon as I get round to it. But if I can think of something, that, if we can think together of something that really suits uh, that I could use to to give you a thing and also another avenue for people to support the show and um, that would be brilliant you can send me your suggestions via twitter at comcompod or email info at comedianscomedian.com so yeah I think a little week off next week if you don't mind or even if you do to allow me to get to grips with this fantastic festival if you're anywhere near Auckland obviously do come along and see the shows here uh, James Acaster is selling out already his new show is just perfect uh, Carl Donnelly's doing great stuff plus there's the the big show in the comedy chamber which has got a great lineup from the UK that's the one I did last year and um, not to mention some terrific local acts including Matt Stellingworth uh, Jermaine Ross is brilliant Ursula Carlson uh, Brendan Green is fantastic I can't wait to see Jayran Manzuri's show uh, I was talking to uh, uh, someone in the bar last night about that and uh, I'm, she's absolutely hat stand. I can't wait for that. Uh, and I saw an Australian act called Luke Heggie last night in a lineup show. That's not the first time I've seen Luke, um, but he gets better and better. So I might try and get him on the show. Uh, now, I know a lot of you aren't in Auckland and me droning on about stuff you can't get to. Uh, is just painful. I mean, in a couple of hours, I'm going to ride a moped around an island. <laughs> There's nothing we can do about that. Sorry. Um, but there are a couple of podcasts uh, I'd like to give a mention to that you can download, obviously, wherever you are in the world. I'm going to be a guest on Cheap Tuesday sometime in the next two weeks, which is a comedy film review podcast from Joseph Moore and Nick Sampson. So look out for that, Cheap Tuesday. Uh, and I'm also very excited to listen to a podcast called The Worst Idea of All Time from comedians Tim Batt and Guy Montgomery, both excellent Kiwi acts. Um, and not, such, not since Richard Herring's 
snooker podcast have I heard such uh, a self-indulgent and willfully self-destructive idea. Tim and Guy do a podcast where they watch the Adam Sandler film Grown Ups 2 every Monday and then they record the show right after watching the film. So that's Grown Ups 2 every week and they've committed to a whole year. That has to be worth checking out. That's called The Worst Idea of All Time. So that's all my news for New Zealand at the moment. I'm not saying there's definitely going to be a week off next week, just that I'm getting my own show ship shape at the moment. Uh, that's He Wolf at 8.45 in the Classic Studio, and I'm also going to be in Wellington at the Hannah Playhouse, so look out for that if you're in Welly. Um, and I'm going to do some pre-records of uh, uh, interviews to bring back with me as well, so I just might give myself a week off in which to focus on that. Hope you don't mind. Thanks for listening. Let's get back to the brilliant Kerry Marks. <laughs> So your, your kind of routines at the time, were you still doing one-liners? Were, were you going on and doing 20 minutes of, of one-liners? or trying Oh, to wow. I went through lots of different phases, actually. So we'll talk us through some of those. They were, I went through a phase of doing all one-liners and then a phase of doing routined one-liners. So there'd be a routine about something, but they're really a, a group of one-liners all strung together. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was... And for a while, what I was doing was, was dark one-liners. So I was, I was dressed completely in black... I would wear a, a like a long black coat, and I would come out and be quite sardonic. And also because I liked the purity of stand-up, I took that too far as I did with the magic, too far for what, what audiences would want. Okay. And um, I would perform without smiling. It was totally deadpan, <laughs> and I was against back then. I was against any kind of funny walk, funny expressions, uh, funny voices, um, uh, accents, anything that enhanced or, or was a, effectively a word prop. Okay, so I this kept is a sort it of that goth pure. approach, like just I'm not going to do anything of. that they're going to enjoy. Yeah, totally. yeah, yeah. I managed to take all the pleasure out of comedy. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, and at one gig, at one of the, one of the big gigs, uh, well, it was one of the Jonglers ones when I did a, an open spot for them, and I went on dressing that sardonic way, and I stood there seriously and, and did some of my lines. And after they said, "You're way too dark. We can't book you." And then they, they said, we'll give you another spot, though. Come back in a couple of weeks. And I came back in a couple of weeks, and I wore a bright yellow jumper. <laughs> and, and I smiled a lot and did the same jokes. Yeah. And they went really well. And afterwards, they said that was deliciously dark, which, ah. was, which, was, which was interesting. And that's a kind of a lesson I learned as well, is that you, you can indulge yourself only so much, but really uh, comedy is performing, and it's, uh, it's communication with the audience. So we were trying to find middle ground between what we really want to do uh, and the purity of what we want to do and what the audience need and try and just meet them somewhere. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, so, you're, so, what was, so you changed your, your persona on stage as well? You weren't I didn't carry your... on with the yellow jumper. No, that no. Was... I don't, what I mean is between, between the black clothes and the yellow jumper, you changed your performance as well as it wasn't just the costume. You yeah. did the same lines but with a bit of a twinkle. Yes, I guess so. But I mean, I, I, was, I was largely, in my head, I thought I was being quite rebellious and, uh, and just reacting to, to everything you're not allowed to say and do. And just really, and I, I was a shock comic in a very different way to how I might be described as a shock comic now, I think. Sure. So, what, so let's just sort of follow that line of your, of your career moving on post-Yellow Jumper incident. Was that was the turning point for you where you kind <laughs> of went... It was one of them. Yeah, okay. So you kind of came away from that going, actually, I can do the stuff I want to if I make it, if I package it differently. Yeah, and also there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with smiling. You know, it's not, it's not a bad thing to do. And there's nothing wrong with a bit of mugging as well. We're, we're salesmen as well, so we, we have to put across our, our jokes. Now, these are packages, these are subjects, so we, we want people to agree with us and understand what, what angle we're coming from. Mm. So we have to sell it a little bit. And, uh, 
you know, I, I can still enjoy watching someone be totally pure on stage and not not adding any little help uh, whatsoever into their mm. pieces. But but at the same time, I've, I've got no problem now with uh, with with mugging or even dancing in front of an audience. I'll do, I'll do whatever will You'll sell the piece. Literally do anything. Okay. Well, not literally. Let's no, not go sure. too far. <laughs> okay, so you're. Um Oh, well, let's talk about this rebellious streak of yours because that's clearly something that you take great pleasure in doing on stage. I was watching I you last right. night here at the Classic in Auckland and uh, you were you really... It was fun to watch people in the audience laughing despite themselves. And I, th I wonder if that's... <laughs> Have I said that right? Maybe I've not said what I mean. Yes, when, what that's I talk what I about, am. I am a reluctant laugh comedian. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, when you're doing jokes about fingering a child and there's a nice, a nice well-to-do woman laughing and she can't believe that she's laughing is what I mean. Oh, do you know what? That's one of the most lovely things. That's not what I actually aim for, but when you do get the well-to-do woman laughing at something she shouldn't... And yeah. that was one there thing was that a happened. lot of that going on last back, night. Back in my magic days, I'll just tell you this one quick story, but back in my magic days, there was, a, there was a show I did and it was a very, very posh do in a marquee with a, a lady lady something or other, I, don't, I can't remember who she was, but she was lady something or other, uh, and she was like, connected with the royals and so on, and she had all these children on her lap, and I did a, a trick with her where it was a coin changed into a different coin in her hand, and she opened her hand up, and when, it, when she saw the change, she went, oh, you fucking cunt! <laughs> and, <laughs> and that was it, that was a, a lovely moment to realise you can, you can have that effect on someone, because that's... that's because that's pure honesty, isn't you it? You can just that's imagine like, that, like the camera freezes. Carrie looks to camera. I've just learned <laughs> yeah. a thing there. Yeah. That was me who did that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you're, um, but but that's that's obviously something you relish, even if it's not the point of what you do. No, it's not. That's not what I aim at now. But I certainly, I think in a in a more immature way that when I first started doing doing that, I, th I think yes, I think there was that kind of uh, rebelliousness of just uh, I'm not allowed to say this. Well, I'll show you. Uh, I'll double it. You know, okay. so so yeah, I'd hit every subject, and and I probably went through phases where where everything was just almost for the sake of it. So like you know, paedophilia, rape, um, you know, mental illness, whatever. Um, I'll still hit those subjects, but not for the same purpose or intention. Okay, and what is it's what more because now now I, I just communicate honestly as as I, I I if I want to say something, and those subjects come in and there, and also because these subjects, you know. I, I always hesitate with some of the descriptions that we, even we use as comics, like using this description dark for comedy. Mm -hmm. And I don't see anything I do as dark. I don't see it as dark. The world is full of darkness. What we do is we put a smile on it. That, that's light, isn't it? We're, we're the light guys. So I, I think it's actually quite dark to be afraid of all this stuff. Mm. So, you know, rape, paedophilia, murder, um, the, the people are dying of cancer. This is what really does go on in the world. It's happening on the news all the time. It's in every newspaper. Mm -hmm. so, so when someone's shocked that a comedian does it, I find that a bit baffling. If they're doing it solely about to shock, it, that's a bit different. Huh? Talk, when a comedian talks about it rather than does it. Is it? <laughs> oh, sorry, you're, you're against comedians doing it? No, no, no. <laughs> We've got all we need. Move in. <laughs> so, yeah, so... But... <laughs> but, you know... I'm, I know what we're talking about, which is that the uh, we've had this conversation before, you and I. Was it the Riviera gigs? Oh, we possibly, did? yeah, that's was right. It, we had a yeah. long conversation yeah. about it, and I think at the time I was sort of arguing from a nice guy perspective yeah. and saying things like, with, for example, a subject like rape. You can't help yourself. Well, thanks. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> um, but with a subject like rape or yeah. rape jokes, and I, I, again, I don't know what that terminology is. I don't know if the word rape featuring in a joke makes it a rape joke. I, yeah. I think that's a very woolly yeah. sort of if thing. Yeah, if it's a knock-knock joke with rape in it, is it still a rape joke or is it knock-knock joke? 
you know? And it, I don't know if that's entirely also, what I meant. And also, also sometimes it's, 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 a, it's a subject matter rather than just a joke. And sometimes, and jokes yeah. have so many different purposes of meaning. Sometimes it's just being irreverent and sometimes it's, uh, uh, it, it could be polemic. It could be uh, social commentary. Sure. It, it, it can be politics. And we read these subjects every day in our papers. But what a comedian is also doing very often is, is making a comment about life or about uh, the social world we live in. And, and that's just as relevant. And I find it odd that people will will be offended solely because because it's humor you know if if it's an article in a paper they're offended because of the angle of the article what it's actually saying there's very few comedians who go on stage and do a piece that's saying oh pedophilia is really good and therefore we should all do it you know sure. and if they did then i would understand audiences getting offended but just the subject coming up i don't understand and really that, from what i remember of our conversation last time you get quite angry about it you feel it's not it's, that's part of your rebellious streak you feel like you're being what talked down to i think that's probably was true for a long time. I'm not sure I'm still in that place, actually. I think I've moved out of that because for a long time, I, th I think I, I, I was being reactive. And now I accept that that's not a battle I win. There was a, a female comedian I spoke to a while ago who told me she was asked to go on a, an afternoon chat show, a TV chat show, uh, to talk about rape jokes. And she said she didn't want to do it because she realised that there's going to be, of course, there's going to be a few rape victims there and, and you're not going to, no, no way, for all our arguments, for all the, uh, the academic arguments we'll come out with, they're not going to survive that situation. Although that is a daydream I have where I go into an afternoon chat show and they're discussing rape and there's like the, the really ardent feminists who want to castrate the men and then there's, uh, there's a few rape victims there and I, I make a point so eloquent that everyone stands up and applauds and everyone says, yes, we should all tell rape jokes. Um, LAUGHTER Always, forever, and then next week, Kerry's back on the program, telling us why white people can say the word nigger, and and that's that's. But that, but I, I've I've come to realise that's that's not realistic, <laughs> you know, and that and that you know, like like right now, I could I could argue for ages about why it's okay to tell these jokes, but still, I'm not going to say those arguments to preface the joke to the actual audience at the time. Okay. So that doesn't happen. So they're they're still going to react with with that. Um, it's not a prejudice. It's, it's a, I don't know. It's a, it's a set view that you know this is sure. offensive. That's offensive. I recognise that when I say these jokes. Okay. So the jokes now are more about me or about a commentary that I, something I'm talking about. So what I got in trouble with last night, mm -hmm. you're referring to, was mm -hmm. when I went into a bit about paedophilia. But what the piece was about was male collective guilt. I think about how we're constantly hearing of all these these perverts and uh, sex offenders who are mostly male. And how that makes men feel, which I think is an interesting thing to talk about. I think because I think all men have experienced, you know, walking behind a, a woman at night somewhere, and your footsteps are, are resounding behind hers, and and you cross the road, and and we do it because we know how we're making someone else feel. But at the same time, we're being tarred by that brush. So I think that's something interesting to talk about. So therefore, to talk about that, I had to talk about paedophilia, but I might have gone too far with a paedophilic description of how women should go about it. <laughs> yeah. In order, in order to catch up with men. But that's a new piece. That's, that's a, it's a new piece I, I, I was playing with, which you know, hopefully will be honed by, by, uh, by sure. the time I get home from and if, here. <laughs> and if the, <laughs> but if, I'm going to upset a few audiences with that whilst I'm here, because well, that's, that will take several different turns. And, and until I get it right, it's going to have that effect. And, it, uh, and I, I didn't see that coming, because when you've got a new piece in your head, you, you, you only rehearse it expecting laughs. Yeah, no, yeah. You, you never rehearse a bit in your head and think, I think the boo's going to come there. <laughs> you know. So with a view to 
how those audiences feel <laughs> when you do a bit when you're like I'm I'm interested in that but like how we as comedians for a variety of different reasons use an audience whether it's you know arguably using an audience you're trying you know slipping in some new stuff for an audience who paid for tried and tested say or whether it's uh, wrangling ideas that could be offensive if you don't say them right to an audience of people who might well walk a, walk away offended. And I, don't, I don't mean last night. You know, you, it, it was a brilliant gig. There was that moment when it rocked and you got it back brilliantly. But I mean, and I'm, not, I'm not scared of that so much anymore. You know, I'm not scared of losing a crowd from home. Particularly one like that. If it, it was a nice feeling with the audience last night. Yeah. So I felt that if I lose them for a second, I could get them back. Although because it threw me a little when that happened. You, you saw what happened. I paced the stage and did a, walked a full circle, yeah. sort of giggling to myself because I was quite <laughs> amused by the moment. But at the same time, also aware the audience really need me to do something about this. Sure. And, <laughs> and that's the trouble. When you've got new material in your head, you, you're, you're only been, before you go on the stage, that's all you've been thinking about is that new piece you're going to do. Mm-hmm. So you, you, you tend to forget all the stuff you've always done, all, all the things that could rescue you from this. Ideally, when you've got a new piece... It'd be the ideal thing. The two, two ideal things to do is one is to work out its placement in the set, uh, a piece that w- where you can go naturally into it, preferably as a throwaway. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what magicians do a lot. Is is they uh, they get out new material as a throwaway. So, for instance, when I was first learning to uh, force a card on someone, which for anyone who doesn't know what that means, you know, it means literally. They, they think they're having a free choice of a card from a pack, but they're not. You're, you're making them choose a card. So the way I would learn that would be to, to do it during a trick where they could choose any card and it didn't matter. Mm-hmm. So I would force the card, and even okay. if they chose the wrong card, it doesn't matter. Only I know that I've done that. So I've done an extra trick they don't even know about, and I really want to burst and tell them how fucking clever I am, <laughs> but, but I don't. Um, so, so that way you, you pick it up. And the same thing with comedy. It's nice if you can throw it in somewhere as a tag on something. Uh, you're talking about shoes and then just go off and about, oh, it reminds me of buying something else. And then it, you can come back to the story about shoes mm-hmm. and it looks like you just went off on a tangent for a moment. Yes. And the other thing it's useful to have, and, but this is all idealistic. I don't do this. But I, <laughs> I, I, do, I do try to and I do sometimes. Ideally, I will have a, a placement for where the piece is going to go with a new bit. And I, ideally, I will also have an out for if I need to get out of this bit in a hurry. It's good if you've got a chunk to do to know where you can split it, take it up to, and what piece you could naturally go into uh, to, to be like an escape route from your failure. Gotcha. If it's gone okay. wrong. Um, but have it, I mean, the reason why I'm, I'm, I'm just saying that I don't actually do that is that I do do that occasionally, but also I'm quite liable to go on stage and then just suddenly hear myself coming out with a piece that I thought about on the way to the gig, and now I'm stuck with it. Yeah, the work that you decided not to do. Yes, and yeah. Then oh, very you've often realised you're doing it. Yeah. Very often, deciding not to do do it is the most certain way of definitely doing it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's a brain sabotage. Your stuff seems to often start from winning an argument, or in that right. in the case of that thing that you were like, you know, the keep off the grass. Yes. Joe, you know what I mean? Is that I don't know where that where, where yes. did that come from? That well, you tell it. Tell us that you can okay. tell us the joke quickly, if you mind. Tell you the joke. Yeah, or uh, yeah. Uh, the, the joke is just about a man, a, a park keeper, who ran up to me and told me uh, and shouted, "Can't you read the sign?" I looked behind me. I saw the sign that said "Keep off the grass." And I was like, "Actually, I can read that sign, but I think you'll find that sign only applies to people who already are off the grass." <laughs> yeah. yeah what, Really, you need to put that sign on the path where it makes sense. You know, here, yeah. here you need a sign that says "Get off the grass." So that, that's kind of a, it's kind of a joke on me being pedantic. But 
I've actually moved away from doing that an awful lot. This, okay. is, this is one thing I was stuck with for quite a while where, uh, and I, because like in, in coming out here to do this festival, I've now taken out everything from my act that's, uh, I think everything, I'm not quite sure, most of it, that's going into the show I'm performing here. And that, that stuff has been the mainstay of my act for the last few months. Gotcha. So now I'm mixing up uh, some older bits with yes. some stuff I'm just writing okay. for doing uh, the sets later at night. And some of the older stuff has a lot of that. It has a lot of me being a clever ass. You know, it was me, yeah. me being Mr. You know, funny man who, uh, who has a situation come up and then says the hilarious thing to the person. And I, I've, I've stopped doing that now. It, does, it doesn't really work for me as, as who I am anymore. Um, and also because... I'm aware that most of the things we say on stage, and we, we believe we're setting the world to rights, wouldn't actually work in reality. You know, they, I, like, like I had a piece, I think this is quite good, um, Sean Collins rang me recently. Sean Collins, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, another comedian. Uh, he rang me to tell me that he had some Jehovah's Witnesses knock on his door, and he did one of my lines on them. <laughs> All right, and I'll tell, you, I'll tell you the line, it was from an old set, and it went, um, let me just think how it, how it would go, because I haven't said this for a while, but... Uh, yeah, the thing about Jehovah's Witnesses is they haven't really witnessed anything. You know, they're talking about stuff that happened. I actually went the other way. Uh, they're talking about things that happened thousands of years ago. They haven't really witnessed anything. What they are, they're Jehovah's gossips, right? <laughs> Knocking on doors, spreading rumors. They should be ashamed of themselves. <laughs> but in the original piece, that was part of a few bits, and that was me talking to Jehovah's Witnesses who had knocked on my door. But that never really happened. I had Jehovah's Witnesses knock on my door, but I wasn't actually rude to them. Mm -hmm. You know, I just said I'm not interested. That's that's what really happened. It wasn't such a great story, but and afterwards it was something I thought and I told it as something I said. And then I'm always aware that if you'd really said that to Jehovah's Witnesses, that would be a bit trite, and that they would they would come up with some clever thing to mm -hmm. tell you what an idiot you are and how pathetic that is. And then Sean Collins rang me and he said that he had these Jehovah's two Jehovah's Witnesses knocked on his door, and he said to them, "My mate Carey is a comedian." <laughs> does this bit about Jehovah's Witnesses having not witnessed anything and they're actually Jehovah's gossips knocking on doors spreading rumours. And I was like, wow, what did they say? And he said, they said, fuck off. <laughs> and, and then they walked off. So that's, that's the reality. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh, that's fantastic. But I don't, I don't in my stories tend to be the winner anymore. You know, and okay. I think is that, that was something, is that I something you do knew, a lot more. You knew you were doing it at the time, or is it something you've looked back and gone, oh, hang on a minute, that's a bit of a trope I was... I never felt at the time that it was showing off saying, look how clever I am. I thought it was me showing off or showing what an arse I am, and then realised now in reflection that it wasn't doing that. It's me constantly saying, hey, someone said this, and I put them down by saying that. But now, really, I tend to be... Uh, I don't go out of my way to be a loser in the stories, but more realistic. And, and, I, and the truth is I wouldn't actually say that. So I, I wouldn't, like, like in, in, I've got a lot of material uh, that might have a go at religion, or it's a constant subject that comes up, I mean, religion, uh, belief systems, um, belief in ghosts and, and homeopathy and so on. Mm. And in the past, I'd have a number of stories where I tear someone to pieces for something they believe in. Mm. But the truth is, I actually am not like that in life. I, I wouldn't. If someone said they believe in something, I would say my point of view. But I'm not out to make other people feel like idiots. I'm not, I'm not really that nasty. So I think I've actually been portraying myself pretty badly for a long time. Okay, that's interesting because you... The way you come across on stage, it's, it's kind of cheeky. It's irreverent. You do like to get your teeth into... I mean, some, one of the things you... you and I'm certainly I'm speaking just from the from the set last night, which, as you said, might be older stuff. 
and but you're really uh, good at logical paradoxes, at taking an idea and finding the the holes and the loopholes and really unpacking it and taking it to bits and turning it on its head yep. and using it to prove to someone that actually the opposite is true. Yes, like, I still like, love doing that. I still I still love doing it. I've got a piece on homeopathy which uh, runs for several minutes and it just breaks down every every part of that belief. Um, or, or the belief on ghosts. It's nice to take all the different reasons why someone believes something's true. And I see that as, like, in my head, when I'm having a go at belief in, in say, ghosts or, or uh, uh, crystals or whatever, I, I feel like I'm making fun of a, a way of thinking rather than the thing itself. I, I, I've confirmation bias, which to me is something, and I don't feel like I'm making fun of someone else for it, I'm making fun of the fact that we as humans fall for confirmation bias so easily, and that without knowing it, that's a problem. So I see confirmation bias. Someone who believes in ghosts is using the same kind of thinking as someone who's racist. Mm -hmm. It's confirmation bias. So as far as I'm concerned, anyone who believes in ghosts is a racist. <laughs> you know? And, and I, see the, I see them as, along with conspiracy theory and so on as being all part of the problem with the whole world and the <laughs> way everyone's thinking. So I feel like almost I'm covering half the world's thought processes that needs correcting. Okay. And then until I realise that I'm never going to win that argument, though. You know, yeah. but I can still now more laugh at myself, and also more now I'm more interested in examining why someone telling me they believe in ghosts or believe in something causes a reaction in me. So now it's more about me. Okay. And I think that came more from doing the the show I did last year, uh, and I'm performing out here this year, uh, um, an updated version of it, um, which which followed on from having the heart attack, and the heart attack took me to a place where. You know, I talk about on stage doing, doing the worst gig of my life after the heart attack where I felt like I could never do this again. I couldn't ever be... I, I went beyond humour where life suddenly became so unfunny that I wasn't able to even laugh for myself. And I came out of it realising that I'm just a silly human being who none of these things really matter as much as I thought they did. Okay. And that's let's kind just, of changed let's just, my view a little bit. Well, let's just stay on that for the moment. So when, how many years ago was the heart attack? It was only two or three years ago? Uh, so where, where are we now? 2014. So, yeah. so it was 2012. Okay. Yeah, and like I mean, halfway, I've never really halfway through it just before the Edinburgh Festival it happened. Okay. Yeah, and and that could, because I've like, I don't believe I, I I love doing comedy. I, I really enjoy not always. It's obviously there's up and down gigs and so on. But and and I don't believe I've reached a stage where I'm great at it. But I believe I will be. Right. I believe okay. that I believe I'm I believe I'm going to be like an amazing 80 year old comedian. Like, really, <laughs> like that's the great thing about comedy. You can staggeringly be. good. Yeah. Um, but although, although it occurs to me now, so since the heart attack, I've, I've realised that or it's, it started hitting me that my body might let me down before that. I might, uh, I might not even have ability of speech by, by the time I'm really good at this. Mm -hmm. You know, so <laughs> that's a really nice model, though. That's a really nice idea that you that you feel you can continue. You're constantly travelling, hopefully. That's what I'd like to do. I'd like, I'd like to think it's something you can keep improving at until you just become so good no one can ignore you. You know. <laughs> To you become that, that dynamic of performance. When you say no one can ignore you, do you mean like the industry or do you mean... No, audiences? I mean you're just fucking amazing. Yeah. <laughs> okay. No, I don't know. I, I, just, I just mean that I'm still learning is all I'm saying. Sure. And, and, uh, and that was a fear that came from this is realising that, that I might not always be able to perform or communicate. And, and that kind of made me feel like I'm more in a hurry. Yeah, right okay. now to get things done. Okay, let's just uh, look more at specifically at, at the writing um, and how that's working at the moment. Then, when you, where do you find starting points? What I mean, do you have a process? Do you have like a week 
you know, do you, I mean, something I often ask my guests is, you know, how much writing do you do in an average week? The answer is very often none whatsoever. And then they sort of look at me blankly. But do you, I do. Do you I have a system? It. Do you have a, what, what do you do? do you I, I have had systems. All, I, I constantly drop systems. I think, I think whenever I get comfortable with something, I then drop it because I feel that you're no longer learning by doing the same thing all the time. So, so what used, sort of systems of have systems. you had in the past? Can you describe some to us? Um, Looking at a blank page is the worst thing you can do because because blankness isn't very inspirational. So, in the past, I would use exercises of all kind to write. Like even if even now, occasionally, if I'm on a plane, just to get my brain juice going at the beginning of writing session, just to get myself onto something I'm not expecting to write about, I might write a list of adjectives and verbs uh, and then do a bit of juxtaposing just for a bit of fun. Mm -hmm. When I was writing one-liners, I did a lot of that. I also did a lot of starting a sentence with something stupid. So it would be like, uh, I know, whenever I'm barbecuing a football, and then you can write hundreds of those. And then the challenge is to come up with punchlines for them because the audience are already going to be laughing at the setup. Yeah, okay. So like, there was one I did in the gala the first time out here, which I, I wrote just before I came out here. I did it at one gig, it got absolutely nothing, and I just heard myself come out with it at the gala. Um, I'm trying to remember the line. It was, uh, it's not easy to slip a sleeping kitten into a hollowed out loaf of bread. <laughs> But it is worth it if you want to really surprise a mouse. <laughs> right? So, so at the time, I wrote loads of jokes. And also, I had a show where I did one hour of those one liners. And, okay. and, and they would, and it's, it's fun to start one liners with whenever or, you know, because you can do loads of them and go, uh, uh, whenever my brother's got his head stuck down the toilet. You know, and that's, that's already an amusing image to start with. And then you just have to, and, you, and then put any finished on it for now. Okay, okay. You know, I should stop calling him retarded he wouldn't do that um so you know that, that way i could churn out loads of those but i started finding it's actually i i i think writing surreal one-liners i shouldn't say this because there's some people who do it excellently do it really mm. well but i found that i could churn them out I could, I could pour those okay but then i stopped doing them after a while because uh i wanted to to grow pieces a bit more okay just before we move on from those what did you mean by juxtaposing adjectives um, adjectives and verbs. It was just an exercise that I do occasionally. No, God, we honestly, it's the not, listenership are going to lap this up. No but, <laughs> no, but it's not one that I particularly recommend. It's just, it's just nice okay. to have little things to do that, uh, that, that start your brain going if you're empty rather than staring at a blank page, is all I was saying. Sure. Um, for, for that, if you just write a, a list of words, uh, uh, nouns, and then um, get some verbs. That, it's nice to take verbs that are from, um, I don't know, sports verbs or choose culinary verbs or, or prison verbs and then make up sentences and you'll find you'll, you'll naturally hit some funny things okay that will just just instantly uh set you off on something else sure so so that that was it wasn't really a process it was more something i would do to start a process okay and did you um, where did that's you not saying i would do now it really it's not it's not okay. my thing so where did you get those ideas from those examples of those things are those like uh you know were you the guy that was buying books on how to write jokes no never did no no, did I didn't, you just didn't make do any up courses, the systems yourself. Didn't do jokes. Didn't didn't didn't, didn't learn jokes. Uh, didn't go into into any uh, you know um, comedy courses or anything. Okay. Um, no, just things I've started doing because I just aware of the blank page is too much. And I also think what you've got to do is just write. Just I find it weird when people tell me they can't write anything. Just, just fucking take a pen and write something. It's not comedians are often saying. I don't. I don't want to sound like I'm really critical of comics here. But, no, go for but, it. Yeah. <laughs> 
Any, anytime you someone, stop that. Anytime someone, no, I don't mean individuals, but anytime someone says, oh, I don't want to, you know, yeah, we want you to. No, Go but a comedian will talk about Edinburgh and say, I, I don't think I'm going to do Edinburgh this year because I can't, there's nothing I want to say. And it's like, how can you have nothing to say? You've, 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 you're living right now. Sure. Things are happening to you every single day. Take one of them and write something about it. And don't make excuses to yourself like that. Just, just write it. This sounds a bit, bit me being really strict and saying, no. don't do this, don't do that. But, Lovely. But, but I think that's what you do. I think you just have to... Uh, imagine you've got a deadline for tomorrow and you're being paid to write a thing. Do it. Yeah, okay. You know? Okay. So that's my attitude. No, There's a wonderful I, laugh from the room there. <laughs> Perhaps from someone with a deadline tomorrow. <laughs> It does help to pretend you've got a deadline. That's the problem with comedians. I and mean, with me as well, if, if you haven't got a deadline, if you haven't got, that's why I'll, I'll, I'll do Edinburgh shows, because knowing you have an hour coming up and you have to have a show ready, now you're going to do it. Mm -hmm. What sort so of mistakes have you made in the past with your writing? Do you, do you find, were there kind of blind alleys that you went down and you became frustrated with it? It sounds like you've got a great facility. You know, you're, you're kind of, you're inventing your own exercises to make you feel more inspired and creative and stuff. It's, I mean, that sounds great. Are there any difficulties that you have with writing? Are there things you get stuck doing? Now, I think more than ever. I think it's harder as you go on because at the beginning, you can write anything. When you start off as a comedian, what, what it is, as you, the longer you spend as a comedian, the more things you, you're aware of that are hack and the more things that become hack. You know, if you know the hack, trite, you know, done to death, mm -hmm. subject matters. Um, when you start, you can write a joke about airline food or whatever and not even know that that's hack. So sure. you can pour out loads of these and think you've got loads of material. And then as you progress, you, you start getting aware of more and more subjects that are covered and that everyone else is doing and more of things that, are, you know, that uh, you, you're, you're here talked about. So it becomes more and more restrictive. Uh, so, but I, I guess also where it is now is I tend to try and find the emotional angle in something. Okay. And that's what's different with the writing now is, is it's more introspective it's more about me even if i'm talking about something else it's more how do i fit into that mm -hmm. so in the past i might make fun of what goes on in a shoe shop but it's more now i'd have to be in the shoe shop i'd have to be how i feel about what's going on in the shoe shop. why it bothers okay. me you know if i'm having to go at someone to talk about ghosts i say it's, it's got to be why it bothers me or why i'm i'm affected by that so so and that's much harder to find because it sounds like what you're yeah. doing is you're, you're trying to find yourself and that's why i find fascinating about you know comedies all these men and women traveling around up and down the country really talking about life and trying to find who they are and where they fit into the world. And, 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 and who we are is the hardest thing for us to uh, really explain. Most, it's, it's odd that if I were to ask you right now to write a paragraph about yourself, you would probably struggle. Most people do. Mm. You, know, you, look on, you look on websites of um, singles and people struggle to even describe what they're in. They have to turn to films or books to describe themselves and what sure. they like. You know? yeah. Yeah. Most people, if, you're asked, if you fire at someone to give me five adjectives to describe yourself, people will hesitate. It's like, fuck, you're 40 years old. You can't come up with five adjectives to describe yourself. And I'd find that hard as well. So I think what I'm constantly trying to discover is how I feel about things and trying to put that across. And okay. So that now is the present difficulty in writing comedy. And what, but much more exciting. What sort of starting points do you use for, those, for that kind of emotional investigation? Um, I don't know where they come from anymore. I, I'm more aware when something's happening that there's something in this and I should talk about it. You know, uh, Last night, the bit that I was talking about was, was based on a woman telling me that uh, of a man who came into the office and thought that, and started talking to the man next to her because she, he thought that, that man was the manager because he's a man. Yeah. So I now want to talk about her reaction, but then how that affects me as a man. Uh, at the same time, uh, I'm trying to think of a more relevant piece, but... 
there's a number of pieces going into the show at the moment that I'm kind of right. There's, there's another piece I did last night, which was about our hamster dying. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, and the hamster- this was the bit that he used to recover from the. Uh- yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. I went, I went from, I went from confusing the audience uh, into hamster death, and. Well, the lovely thing was you went hamsters and everyone went, oh, and you went dead hamsters. Yeah. Well, OK, OK. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Still me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> sorry. But that's what happened is we had a hamster and he died and, and my wife was really cut up about it and I was glad he was dead. And there was... So, so that, but the, the, the more interesting emotion to me is more, more trying to feel something for someone else. And when I mean, you're not feeling it yourself, but, you're, try, but you're, you're aware of your own deficiency... Uh, yeah, okay. So, I so that's, you mean, yeah. that's possibly where the starting point is. But that emotional angle might change as the piece develops. I don't know. Okay. Um, we're nearly out of time. Uh, the, what, are you happy to field questions from the audience? Yeah, sure. Yeah, lovely. Has anyone got any questions? I don't know. <laughs> well fielded, that man. Um, we can, yeah, over there. Great question. That, that aerial that you have for identifying where there might be something in you know, something writable from a, an event or an occurrence, whatever, does that, has that become more finely tuned or does it still sometimes take months to register? It probably is more finely tuned, but I, not in a way I'm, I'm aware of most of the time because I'm kind of trying to figure it out. I don't, I don't always know. Some, sometimes I'll take an angle on something and then a few months later I've completely changed my mind about what I was saying on stage. Sometimes I'll hear a piece I was saying a few months ago and, and hope that not too many people heard it. Cause, yeah, okay. Because I don't agree with myself, and I think, who the fuck is this idiot who's, you know, so angry about that or whatever? Um, no, I, I, I think, I think tr- trying to discover how you feel about something is, is difficult. I'm, I'm, I'm really not very good at putting myself into a piece. That's something I'm learning to do at the moment, I think. And that's something I had to do much more with that. That's, that's why doing the show about the heart attack was so, uh, um, was, was a kind of departure for me because mm. I had to self examine more than I would do normally. And, and even in rewriting it from out here, that's absolutely right, is what you're saying, is that I'm looking at some of the pieces and saying, actually, I'm realising now the reason why I reacted to, to something that happened in hospital, if I'm honest about it, was because I was scared. And I didn't, I didn't know that at the time. So okay. now, how do you cover that without... And you, we, we want to cover these things without sounding uh, sorry for ourselves, um, without yeah. being overly emotive, uh, without trying to... I don't want to sell the emotion. I don't, I don't, I'm not out to try and make an audience cry. I'm a comedian. But I want to... With that show, I'm trying to have a laugh at what I became, what I sunk down to. Yeah, okay. Because, because, because it's okay to laugh at it, because I came out of that. So uh, just something else I wanted... We've just got a few minutes left, but um, something else I wanted to cover is your persona on stage. You're one of the... Uh, on, the on the great sort of spectrum of comics, so with character comics at one end, you're sort of at the other end, being exactly who you are in normal life. Like you... You don't wear a costume particularly. You kind of go on in your street clothes and you just go, this is, you know, the, your voice on stage and your voice here are identical. Yes. I mean, I know you're on stage now. Your voice, two, you know, two minutes after we finish, we'll also... No, you're identical. right. My voice on stage is the same as my voice on stage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I wish I had a clearer voice sometimes, you know. We, we all know the comics who you can, uh, you can describe in a sentence and that's great, you know. It's, it's, at least it's great for writing. It makes it a lot easier. You know, I could write jokes for them. You know, the pedantic comic, is, we know how he's going to behave in any situation. I think it'd be great if you can be one of the comedians who step out yourself and can see yourself almost as a, uh, um, a sitcom character and know how that character will react in different situations. I don't really know. And I, I constantly cross-examine myself and, and change my mind. because, Or also see uh, uh, there's uh, 
there's, there's two different reactions to everything. I, I, might, I might react to something someone says and get annoyed about it, and then I might see their side of it as well. And now, and I, I don't want the, the comedy to become wishy-washy, just a bit more honest in that. Mm -hmm. Okay. I guess. Are you, with, with a view to uh, just talking about you know, your development as a comic, are you happy with your place in the comedy industry? Are you happy with the, the level of profile you have, the amount of people you can get to your shows? No. Okay, well, let's, let, let's just talk about that. Why, why do you, what do you want that and you I don't, don't currently want, have? I don't want what I want because I don't, I don't particularly want to be... It's not that I don't want to be famous or anything. It's, it, I'd like to be for what I do and, and for, for, for... Which I think there's more opportunities perhaps in America than there is over in Britain. I'm not sure that we, we really have that. It's either doing the panel shows or... Uh, or, or doing, uh, and even going to Edinburgh isn't an ideal place for me. I, I don't like having to go up there and perform in that environment, in, in baking hot rooms uh, to tiny audiences. Uh, it's just not, it's not ideal for me. But I'd like to, I would like to have enough of a following that I don't have to ever flyer again, mm -hmm. you know, uh, to, to guarantee having an audience come in and preferably have an audience come in who know me and like what I do, and then I can work with that. But, uh, but no, I, I, don't have, I don't have a massive ambition to be uh, super famous. Okay. And certainly not for something I don't do, which is, I think, this is a bit dodgy to say, but I, I think we get rewarded more for what we don't do as comics quite a lot. I think in, in, in the reviews, and I can, I can understand it, in, in Edinburgh, I've been around to see a number of different shows, and after a while, you don't want to see just another person on a microphone just yabbering. Mm -hmm. So you need uh, something flash or bang. And those things do get rewarded in reviews. Someone, he was a great comic because what he did wasn't comedy. And mm -hmm. that happens a lot. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, 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 I would like to be able to just, just do what I do and, uh, and, and garner a bigger crowd would be nice. Have you... Are you offering? <laughs> <laughs> what do I... Constantly. Are you, um, are you... What I wanted to ask was, have you done, have you done panel games? Have you done panel games? I don't, yeah. Uh, panel shows, stuff like that. Did you not enjoy them? Did you not do well on them? How was that experience? Well, I suppose what I'm getting at is why aren't you massive? You're fucking brilliant. Oh, you're so lovely. No, but it's true, man. You're great. But, I, but I, it's, a <laughs> it's a difficult question to ask because I don't want to say like, hey, Kerry, you're not doing so well. You're doing great, obviously, but you should be massive. I, no, I have my moments and I've produced, uh, you know, I've produced a number, of, well, quite a few hours of entertainment. I, I'm quite happy with what I've done and I'm quite happy with uh, working what I do on what I do and, and constantly trying to improve what I do and seeing and also investigating what comedy can do. I think comedy is a form of communication. I think it's a great form of communication. Um, I think irony is a, a, a really interesting uh, way of saying like, like going on stage and saying racism is wrong is just, just so obvious. It's, it's, it's level one of communication. Mm. Saying racism is right and by doing that, saying racism is wrong is interesting. Mm -hmm. You know, so so I, th I think what we're able to do with irony and the and I think comedians are still learning different different techniques and, and ways of putting something across with, with humour. Uh, and I think that's all very exciting. It's nice to be a part of that. That seems to be an excellent place to end it. Ladies and gentlemen, would you please thank the fabulous Mr. Kerry Marks. Thank you very much. So thank you to Kerry. Thank you to the wonderful Scott Blanks for promoting that show in the, in the Classics podcast series here at the New Zealand International Comedy Festival. Uh, and Lauren as well, who works at the Classic. Thanks for looking after us. Uh, thanks also to Kylie and Lauren, who direct the festival, uh, and to Maria and Jed and Bex and Caroline and Sarah, everyone in the, in the festival office, for making it all happen. Um, with specific regard to this show, thank you to Joseph Moore for sound production, Horace Little for moral support, as ever, been very important this week. And finally, this episode was co-produced once again by Nathan Wood. I've been Stuart Goldsmith. I'll speak to you in a fortnight. I'm off to Waiheke. <laughs>